Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage. Building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host, Ron Baker, and folks on today's show, for the third time, one thing. How's it going, Ron? Great, Ed. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. This is uh, one of my favorite shows to do. I, we've done this twice before. First time was October 15th of 2021, believe it or not, way back when, show number 362. And then we also uh, ran this on March 3rd of this year, which is the April 29th show, where we did this thing called One Thing. And this is an homage to something that we heard on Russ Roberts' show, our favorite podcast, the Econ Talk. A.J. Jacobs, a guy who read the encyclopedia, uh, <laughs> talked about doing a, a gratefulness journal or a One Thing journal. And you and I both kind of latched onto it. You had done something similar. I had done something similar previously. And then I don't know what inspired us to say, hey, let's just make this a show one time to share our one thing journals. We keep them independently, right? We don't share with one another what, what our one things are. Right. Uh, I'm I'm not uh, faithful to it in that I can say that I do it every single day, but it's pretty close. I mean, it. I would say it's at least four or five times a week. Somewhere between there is my average on it. And I do cheat sometimes like, and I date mine, right? So I'll date when mm -hmm. I have the one thing. And, but, I, and I will sometimes if, if I have two things that happen on a particular day, but I maybe skip the day before <laughs> I'll put it in as a, as the previous day, but I don't do any more than one thing on for a particular day. So that's kind of my rule. So how do you go about doing yours? And I, I, by the way, I keep mine in, in notes. I used to keep it in Evernote. I've moved all of my Evernote over to Apple notes. So it's now in, in Apple notes. That's, that's where I keep mine. So how did, what's your process for it? Uh, my process is not as structured as yours i just write when i hear something really cool on a podcast or when i read something or watching tv somebody says a quote or a line i like or an idea i like i just put it in uh i, I hand write a journal so it's all handwritten it's not electronic and um yeah it's it's <laughs> it, it's it keeps growing at a faster rate than we get through than we can do on on the shows that we've done Right. So we'll never run out of material, Ed. No. And and what I'm going to try to do, because I do date mine, is I'm going to try to to limit mine to from the last time we, that we did this one thing. So mm -hmm. which would be, again, March 3rd of, of this year. I've got plenty here to talk about. So right. <laughs> we're certainly not going to get to them all. But what I'd like to do is since I opened the show, I'm going to turn it over to you and say, all right, what do you got for me? What, what What's your what's what's the first one thing you want to share? And I don't know who wrote this. It was some wit, some writer, but he said, writing a book is more risky than having a child. You can always disown a child. <laughs> I just love that. <laughs> Can't disown a book. <laughs> Can't disown a book, man, because people throw it in your face. Yeah. 
Well, let me ask you about that. It was it's you and, and certainly with Professional's Guide to Value Pricing, which was your first book, that went through what, six editions? Is yeah, that correct? Six, yeah, six editions. And did it grow or did you go, did you go back and change stuff on it too? Oh, to, yeah. And- oh yeah. It grew, like uh, Thomas Sowell says, the book expands like my waistline. Uh, <laughs> it, in those six editions, I added a chapter or two, sometimes even three, I think maybe even the first time four chapters were added between the first and second edition and it just grew from there so yeah it it grew from probably a 300 page book to a six or 700 page book by the time it was done Hmm. yeah but did you did you walk back anything that's what i'm trying to say did you like in from an earlier edition say oh that was wrong and just kind of um no not well i did walk back no options at some point i put in options and said you know there is a theory that you should give up, op- you know, three options or whatever. Uh, because in the first edition, I said, no, don't do that. I was kind of like Peter Block that way. Or, or, or is it Mahan Khalsa? Mahan Khalsa thinks that, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. He, 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 options. yeah. No, he was big into just, you know, what, what exact price, exact solution, give him one price and, and talk or focus around that one price. Yeah. Right, right. Which I had to change my mind about because the evidence is just overwhelming. Mm. That that's not as optimal as giving options. So yep. yeah, that'd be the one big thing. And the other thing that really expanded it too is my debate with Rick over timesheets. <laughs> sure, he's still upset that I declare victory on that. So <laughs> he, he won't let me live that down. Uh, well, there you go. Well, all right. So this one I I came across or wrote down on Pi Day, which is March fourteenth, right? Three three point one four. And uh, this, I heard this phrase twice on that day in two separate contexts, seemingly unrelated podcasts, but it came together. And I think you'll remember this phrase because you probably heard it on the same podcast that I did. And that is that it's a metaphor that says the juice is not worth the squeeze. Yes. (laughs) And then I remember thinking to myself after that, that I heard it for like a month or so after that. And now it's disappeared. Now it's gone. I don't haven't heard it heard it again, and quite frankly, I'm really not sure about that metaphor. Not, I, not sure I like that. <laughs> it's a, well, you know, that's what the DEI officer at Stanford said to the judge. Remember that whole thing with the Stanford law students protest? Okay, yep, yep, and she, yep. She got up there and said, "Well, Your Honor, I'm just not sure the juice is worth the squeeze. You know, the squeeze is worth the juice of you being here." She was saying mm-hmm. basically. Right. You know, given what your opinions have been and all that. I mean, I thought it was a weird, it is a weird metaphor. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it was, and then it had to be one thing if it came across from two di- disparate podcasts. Right. right. So, right. Right. <laughs> one of those yeah. literally memes. Remember when meme was just something that was in like, where's the beef? Right. That was just kind of out there in, in yep. the, in the ether. Yep. So, yeah, I don't, you know, in, that's the only place I can remember hearing it, Ed, was from the Stanford thing, but maybe I did hear it somewhere else. But yeah, it, it made an impact on me when she said yeah. that. Yeah. Well. Um this this is I like this. This is Peter Thiel, and I think he wrote about this in um from Zero to One book, you know, his book. He when he interviews people, he says, What's your unpopular but good idea or cause? And especially when he's doing nonprofit interviews for nonprofits. So that's a good question. What's your unpopular 
but good idea or cause? That is a really good question. That is. And then, and then he says, tell me something you believe that most people don't. Mm -hmm. I like that one too. Those are two, two really good questions. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's uh, you know, I just watched the uh, Ted talk on colorblindness by uh, Mm -hmm. Coleman Hughes and (laughs) he, there, whoa, talk about a kerfuffle. Um, that was amazing. It was an amazing story. Um, how Ted almost didn't publish that thing. Mm-hmm. And here, here their whole mission in life is to spread ideas. <clears throat> right. And they're talking about censoring that talk because a group of Ted employees didn't like it. And yeah, yeah well, yeah. Okay. It's unpopular, but um, <laughs> deal with it. Right. <clears throat> Uh, well, you know, it's funny that uh, you mentioned that and I wasn't going to do this one, but but it's it's uh, I'll do it quickly on uh, March 19th of this year. Uh, this is a quote, I believe, from an interview with Megan McArdle. And she says, when someone says the time for debate is over, it's almost always code for a shut up and do what I say. Right. Right. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm tired of listening, listening to your ideas. <laughs> I love it. Uh, okay, I, I, I probably put this in just to irritate you, but you're not going to like this. But it is from Jonah Goldberg. Okay, so I know you right. like the source, but you're not going to like yeah. the line. Libertarians are like the Huns. You want them on your side, just not in charge. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. Because <laughs> if you have the... If you have the libertarians in charge, then no one's really in charge because no one's the boss no, of me, no, Ron. Right, right. Nobody <laughs> wants to make a decision. Well, how can I? I can't. I don't know what's good for me. How can I know what's good for you? That's the old, the old, the old joke. You know, how, how do you organize an anarchist convention? You know, <laughs> who's in charge? Who's in charge? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man, <clears throat> that's funny. Uh, so. So this is the next one I want to share. This is from Brian Kaplan. And this became a a, a mantra of mine. And I've used this on several occasions. And this is from April 7th. I can't help but feel like you're trying to intimidate me into pretending to agree with you. (laughs) You love that. (laughs) You love that. And he says, this is one of this is one of the thoughts that I tend to keep to myself. Yeah, yeah, that'll get you in a lot of trouble. But I'll say it again, though, because it's a little, I can't help but feel like you're trying to intimidate me into pretending to agree with you. Yeah, that's beautiful. (laughs) Brian, that's great. Uh, This comes from Rabbi Lappin. You know, he's classic for making that distinction between spiritual and material. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's talking about getting advice. And he says, you know, this is, and we've talked about this before. He said, you know, you go to an oncologist, that, that oncologist doesn't need to have had cancer to be able to treat you. And he says, you know, it doesn't take a dead man to build a coffin. I guess that's a saying from some culture or something. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure, but you know, the, the mechanic doesn't need to drive a BMW to fix yours. Right. So he says, if I'm dealing with something spiritual or I'm sorry, if I'm dealing with something material, like an architect, uh, but you know, the architect's a flander or, or he's an alcoholic or whatever, but he produces great work. Well, then it doesn't matter. But if I'm dealing with something spiritual, I probably wouldn't go to him for 
uh, you know, marriage advice. Type right. Thing if he's advising on something spiritual. So I kind of just kind of like that. It doesn't take a dead man to build a coffin. No. And I think that that's along with, you You know, you don't have to have cancer, right, to have, be able to cure cancer. And that, because I think that's a category error that a lot of people make an argument. They say, well, what do you know about that? You know, how can you how can you opine on that? How can you have an opinion on something like that? You're not you don't run a firm. You're not. Yeah, you don't run a firm. You're right. Right. And, and I have to say, when I started consulting, I thought I, ha- I have to stay in uh, my firm because otherwise I have no credibility. Mm-hmm. You disabuse yourself of that notion real fast because that's not true. <laughs> and, and if you since you did, you can always say, well, I did run one and here's what I did. So that's that, right. that and that can dismiss the question. But I, I have had a lot of people. One of the things that people complain about me is that. I do all of this consulting, but I have a job at Sage. So how can I be? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. how can I be, how can I, how can I talk about entrepreneurship when I'm not one? Right. As if you can only be an entrepreneur if you have your own company. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. You know, you can be entrepreneurial inside another organization, which well, is what I strive that, to be. If we help that logic, Ed, we wouldn't have universities because they sit around and talk about things that they're not doing. Exactly. Exactly. Well, all right, Ron, but we're up against our first break. Want to remind our listeners that they can get hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, the website is The Soul of Enterprise, where you can see show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. We have a Patreon channel that you can subscribe to. Go out to patreon.com slash TSOE. At a certain level, you can get a shout out like Geraldine Carter did. Geraldine is business strategy for CPA's podcast. You can listen to that and her other work at GeraldineCarter.com. But right now, a word from our sponsor. America at facebook.com forward slash voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah 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 Whatever, and four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. Ron, we talk a lot about business opportunities. Well, now a great one has become our sponsor, bookskeepingfranchise.com, bookskeeping with an X. That's right, Ed. If you are interested in becoming part of the $4.2 billion bookkeeping industry for a franchise fee of just under $20,000, visit www.bookskeepingfranchise.com. Bookskeeping comes with full training, plus marketing and technical support, and even staffing. Visit the website or call 855 935 2669. Franchise opportunity not available in all states. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, 
package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everyone, to The Soul of Enterprise. We are doing a our third show ever on a concept that we call One Thing. And Ron, you had a question uh, that you had you had posed in, in one of your one things. This is a, a question that I came across on April 18th, and uh, I'd like to talk about it with you and see if you have an answer to it. In 100 years, what will I be wrong about? Oh. <laughs> Man, mostly everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Yes, especially if you're in business, you know, even in the sciences, I'm Mm -hmm. sure certainly medicine, you will look back a hundred years from now and go, why did we do that? Oh, chemotherapy is, you know, you're going to be thinking, what, you know, what were we thinking? A hundred years from now is going to look like leeches. Leeches and and bloodletting. Yeah. 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 It's a, yeah. Wow. That, yeah. I like that. That's that's thought provoking. Yeah, just to try to process through that, you know, knowing me, what I'll probably be most wrong about is is some kind of a a, a belief in technology that's gonna like I you know like I, I'll I, I will probably go to my grave thinking nuclear fusion, fusion. is gonna it's, it's just around the corner it's just around the corner yeah yeah <laughs> you know but you know I hope it's I hope it's not something you know and 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 this is something as I do think about from time to time you know we'd like to think that if we were alive 150 years ago 200 years ago that we would be anti-slavery we yes. like to think that you know in in the 1920s and 30s that we would be anti-fascists if we were living in in Italy or Germany of course the likelihood is that we wouldn't be yeah. It, you know, the probability is yeah. overwhelmingly that you wouldn't be. Or yeah, you that, at least have gone along. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Tom Woods made this point. He had a guy on, I forget who it was, but they were talking about this exact point. And Tom Woods said, and if you don't believe that about yourself, he said, go back and look at pictures of you from the 1970s and tell me what clothes you were wearing. <laughs> You know what? Yeah. It's a really good point. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's great. I yeah. That this rhymes with what you that, with that. It's different though. But um, I'm also I always think about if your news cycle was say five years or even one year or five years or ten years. You know what? It, like if you were writing The Economist or a newspaper, but it was on a one-year cycle or a five-year cycle, what would you pick up? Mm-hmm. And of course, you would pick up the blockbuster stories, right? Like nine eleven or what. But you would also do away with a lot of crap that we spend a lot of time on every day, mm-hmm. inundated with just these ridiculous articles that you know we can't even remember them two weeks later. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe it makes sense to go back to like a five-year timeline for journalism. <laughs> Could be. 
Well, we've talked about this one, Ed, uh, in other contexts, but I, I just love it. it. It has become my favorite definition of these two terms, and it's from Peter Block. Liberty is the absence of oppression, while freedom is the act of commitment. It's a choice. And I, I think that's brilliant. I, in fact, I just heard somebody the other day on the podcast, I think it was Tom Wood's podcast, who got who, who reversed those definitions. Interesting. And, and I'm sitting there going, no, that's not right. Liberty is not a choice. It's not a choice. I can be kosher, right? If I was Jewish, mm -hmm. I could be kosher. And that's a choice. But that restricts me. I, I don't know if you'd say it's a form of oppression, but you probably feel like it is sometimes when you go to a place, you know, traveling and you can't find a kosher meal. <laughs> but sure. But it's a choice or being faithful to your spouse is a choice. Mm -hmm. Right. But I mean, I, I'm not saying that's oppression, but it's a, it, it's restrictive. So I think Peter Block's got it right. Liberty is the absence of oppression while freedom is the act of commitment. It's a choice. Even Father Sirico said something very similar. He says, if we have freedom, we still have to do something with it. Right. Right. It's a, it's, we have to fill it <laughs> with something. Mm -hmm. So I just, I, I really like that. That's really helped me clarify those two words because they're not, you know, most of the time you hear them as synonyms. People think they they mean the same thing. I don't think they do. Right. No, I don't. You're, and so mine, mine is, uh, must be from the same time period. Cause this is from uh, Peter uh, Kostenbaum. And that is uh, we are free to choose. We are not free to choose not to choose. Right. Excellent. Yeah. And that's, that's, an, we, we must, we must make it, you know, to, to, to not to decide is to decide in some way. Right. 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 There's no, there's no, there's no null, which is uh, then the argument over is what is the null hypothesis, right? Then, you know, then the, the concept of what's, what is the default value if no value is chosen? Because then that's the choice, and therefore that's a pre-consistent choice. And and the one one great example of this, of course, is the whole default value around should or shouldn't you be an organ donor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if the the choice is, you know, do you want to be an organ donor? Yes or no. That's one way of phrasing it. The next way of phrasing it: do you do you choose not to be an organ donor? Yes or no. <laughs> you know. Uh, and then the other thing is check here to be an organ donor or check here not to be an organ donor right right opt in opt out the whole nudge <laughs> and, and i keep day. going back to back on that is like it, it is which which of those is a nudge or are they both a nudge <laughs> it's, a really, it's, a, it's a really good question i guess because if, if you looked at the evidence and say well most people don't check the box most people opt not to be organ donors so you'd want to nudge them in the other direction i guess that's how they considered you know that but uh, if the original choice is do you not wish to or, or do you do, do you know the, the, in the inverse right to say I, I i do not want to be an organ donor check the box right or this goes back to your anarchy how yeah. do you right because who, who's to say what the right direction is in any nudge Th that's correct i mean that's correct that, i mean this is where you go down the philosophical rabbit hole of this <laughs> it, it, it's really it can get really complex really fast. Yeah. <clears throat> yep. Okay. All right. Uh, well, this is Stephen Wright, Ed. Uh, <laughs> I, have a, 
I've always loved this. The problem with the gene pool is there's no lifeguard. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about that, but I just love that line. Yeah. Well, yeah. Nope. <laughs> there, there is not a lifeguard. Fair enough. Uh, so this is a story that that from Kevin Williamson that he he often tells, and I I really have latched on and like this one. This is from May thirteenth. I wrote this down. I think I probably cut and pasted it for, right from one of his columns. But uh, so he says one of my favorite political fables concerns Dwight D Eisenhower and his tenure as president at Columbia University. The campus was undergoing an expansion, and Ike was presented with two very different plans for laying out new sidewalks. The architects were irreconcilable, each insisting that his plan was the only way to go and that the other guy had it all wrong. Ike, sensible fellow that he was, had grass planted instead, telling the architects to wait a year and see where the students trod paths on the turf and then put the sidewalks there. If that story's not true, and I don't think it is, because I've, <laughs> I've seen so many people write about this and try and verify it, but it should be. It's a great illustration <laughs> of spontaneous order. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, better being better than central planning. Yep. Let, let it, let it emerge, you know, we'll let see where the students go and then that's where we'll put the pass down. Yeah, no, I thought that was really great. Yeah. Emergent order. I should have said emergent order. Yeah. Emergent order. Yeah. Um, I don't know where I got this at. It was, it was somebody talking about, you know, um, questions kids ask you. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And somebody asked his dad, if we evolve from apes, why do apes still exist? Hmm. Okay. <laughs> I, I, how would you answer that? Well, because I, I think it's a misunderstanding of the the evolutionary tree. I, I, I don't think that we evolved from apes. We we have we evolved from a common ancestor of an a, a, a primate that had went down two different paths. One, one, you know, and the, the, I think the idea behind it is, is that there was some kind of a mutation or change that was enough in the DNA to split off. Um, and then over the course of millions of years, the, 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 the paths deviate. So that's 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 the idea between in, in, in mutation. Not we didn't there weren't, you know, the, the, there weren't apes and then humans and then there are apes and humans. It was common ancestor that was common to both apes and humans. And they they diverged into two different things. Right. Right. Gotcha. right? So it's a good question, though. It's hard to <laughs> hard to explain. Coming from a kid's mind. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> oh. So this is this is a Mike Munger's response to the Marauds argument, as we like to call it, <laughs> libertarianism. For those of you who don't know, there's the the one of the first questions that every libertarian is confronted with when they say they're libertarian is who will build the roads? <laughs> who will build the roads? Um, and so so his, so his uh, his argument is this. If a slave eats the food provided by the master, does that mean the slave consents to slavery? Mm. I've heard him say that. Right. And of course, the answer is no. <laughs> so just because I use the public roads doesn't mean I consent to the fact that there have to be public roads. Right. Right. That's a great point. I, I was just reading an article in Fee this morning about the roads and this guy was making a really interesting argument um a little bit out there but he, he said if we hadn't have built the national highway system if i ike had 
forget the billions that we spent on it in today's dollars. It was a mm-hmm. lot. He said, what other things would have happened? You know, and he talked about how how it uh, put the kibosh on innovation in the railroads. We might have had flying cars. We might have had different types of airports. Um, you know, he was just trying to imagine a world where you didn't have this interconnected highway system that made it just super convenient to get in your car and go other things would have emerged and Mm. i i didn't it wasn't very convincing but it was an interesting thought experiment you know kind of like how we think sometimes about what would medical care look like if we didn't have help you know employer-sponsored health insurance and if the world was stocked full of dpcs you know what would the mm-hmm. networks and all that kind of stuff? It would look radically different. Sure, I can see it there. I have a harder time seeing it with the roads, but maybe that's because it's just so ingrained in my head. You yeah, know, that we have this interconnected highway system, and that right. was a good. We, we automatically think that's a good thing. Well, maybe it wasn't. We did spend a fortune on it, <laughs> a lot of money, and from what I understand, what is it? One out of every five miles or so has to be straight. So that oh, yeah. so that, so so that a, so that a bomber could land or a pl- that a plane could land on it in a national yeah. emergency. Yeah, yeah, kind of like the autobahn. That was part of its plan was to you know be able to handle a jet. Mm-hmm. So, oh, all right. Well, we're up against our ne- next break. We want to remind those of you that you can contact Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, the website is The Soul of Enterprise, where you can see show notes, previews to upcoming shows. We are sponsored, of course, on our Patreon channel by the folk, good folks at 90 Minds. Need a mind? Find one at 90minds.com. Give them a check if you want to see the latest thinking around ERP software. But right now, a word from our sponsor. and can't get enough of us follow us on instagram at voice america talk radio and see what we're cooking up for you sage provides accountants with compliance reporting and analytic solutions to do more for their clients these solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com
You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking about our One Thing journals. And Ed, I love this one. It's from Alexei de Tocqueville. And he said, an American is an Englishman left alone. Jonah <laughs> quotes that all the time. And I just, I think that's a great line. An American is an Englishman left alone. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, that's kind of what we started from anyway, you know. Absolutely. So. I, I, I'm not sure we're left alone anymore, but. No, no. Well, <laughs> certainly not. Certainly not like we were in 1800. That's for sure. Absolutely. Oh, all right. Uh, this is a, a principle of non-worseness. This is, I think, from a reflection on an episode of Econ Talk as well, although I can't remember exactly who said it and I didn't note it down. Principle of non-worseness. This says that not hiring someone to clean your house because you think it's demeaning to them will only make them have to take on another customer who will likely be demeaning. That was with Mike Munger. Because oh, was with talking, Munger? Yep. They were talking about Russ was in another country and he had a, uh, I don't know if it was the May, I forget it was the Airbnb situation, but he felt really bad that, you know, she, she, but she really needed the job. She had kids, she worked really hard. And he just felt really guilty about the whole employer employee, you know, uh, system. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think Munger brought that point up in, in Russ's defense. He said, you were probably, you were, because you were nicer to her, she Mm -hmm. didn't have to suffer some other person who might not have been so nice and talk to her, engage her in conversation. And, you know, I, I think he tried to have tea with her and she said no, because, you know, she's trying to get her work done to go, go somewhere else and keep working. So. Yeah, I I, I kind of remember that conversation. It was very interesting, as as most of their, those guys, those two conversations are between mm-hmm. those two. They're amazing. Yeah, yeah. Which is yeah. just another one released a couple weeks ago, right, or last week. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They were talking about the Adam Smith and the uh, the trolley problem, right? Trolleyology. Yeah. Uh, how would Adam Smith solve it? Um, that, well, speaking of Russ Roberts, Ed, uh, I. <laughs> He said this on the show. I forget. Um, it wasn't with Munger. I think he might have been interviewing Peter Thiel or Mark Andreessen. I bet you this is in your journal as well. But the line is argue with conviction. Listen as if you were wrong. That's great advice. That is great advice. Argue with conviction. Listen as if you were wrong. Mm-hmm. Love that. Love that. Yeah. And that's, you know, especially in a consulting engagement when you're trying to even you know, sell your idea, but is to amp up those listening skills. Um, well, I'm going to I'm going to cheat here and combine two together because it's a direct reaction to your your last one there. So it's curious mm-hmm. that these these come up. Um, and I believe the first one is from from Peter Block. And then the second one is from. Uh, probably an article that we, we was doing to re- research for the Drucker show. So the, the first one was on June 23rd, which is what have I said? Yes, that I am no longer truly committed. What have I said? Yes to that. I am no longer truly committed. Wow. 
And then the other one is that sounds good, but is it really true? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Where'd that come from? I, 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 <laughs> that sounds good, but is it really true? And I, I, I think it was, it was a, a Drucker quote actually that, that was, it was in an article about that Drucker or attributed to Drucker. Okay. That that was one of his questions that he would, or maybe he had it phrased differently, but the, the, this person was arguing that this is what one of the things that Drucker did as a consultant right. was to right. That's draw that out. Yeah, that's fantastic. But the first, I'm still thinking, I'm still processing the first. Question. <laughs> what have I said yes to that? I am no longer truly committed. I know, I know there's stuff. I, oh yeah. I, there's tons of stuff. Um, I mean, I, this kind of goes back to our show, changing your mind, mm -hmm. right? All the different things that we've changed our mind about over the years. Right. So that, and, that and would and some of this is, is to what has become habit to you that you do by habit that you really should stop doing because it's just, it's a bad habit. I mean, there's no reason right. for it. Right. Right. I know. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Love that. Those are, those are, that's thought provoking. Mm -hmm. Um, well, I don't know how many times we quote Richard Feynman probably should be on the CSOE <laughs> bingo card. Uh, another great thinker. Um, but I love this line from him. I would rather have questions that can't be answered than answers that can't be questioned. Mm -hmm. I think that's brilliant. Yep. No, that's good. I actually, Mike, I've used that quote in my, in the opening of my uh, session that I do on asking effective questions. And I ask it as a, as a, a, would you rather type thing? Would, would you rather have questions that you can't answer or answers that you can't question. And, and most people, I would believe it or not, most people say, yeah, they'd rather uh, have questions that they can't answer. Right. So I think that's, that's healthy, but there are people who are like, no, I'd, you know, <laughs> I'd, I'd rather have answers that I can't question. Well, okay. <laughs> I think it was Socrates who said the half the wisdom's in the question. Yeah. Isn't there a line from Plato that half the wisdom is in the definition? So where's oh, that leave us, Ed? So definition yeah. and questions, right? There you go. 100%. Well, I, I, I think, I believe the Plato quote is all wisdom begins with a definition uh, of terms. All, okay. Okay. All wisdom. Okay. All, wis all wisdom begins with a definition of terms, which is great. I mean, the, this whole notion is like, all right, we, let's agree to a definition of something and then we can have a conversation about it because if we don't, you know, the, the, then why are we bothering the, the analogy I always use on that or, or the metaphor I usually use on that is, well, well, otherwise you're playing tennis on two different courts. Courts, right. right? So one another. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. So every, it's amazing. Every time I serve, it's an ace and every time you serve, it's an ace. Well, yeah, because we're not on the same tennis court. court. So let's get on the same tennis court and agree. But, you know, part of that is, is that there's, there's a lot of arguments over, I won't agree with your definition. Hmm. Hmm. And let me give you one because it happened to be in here. And and this is from Brian Kaplan. Um, and I think this came out like right after we interviewed him. Otherwise, I would have asked him about it. But he 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 posits this. He says, feminism is the view that men and women should be treated equally. Or is it that feminism is the view that our society generally treats men more fairly than women? Hmm. And the reason why he makes this distinction is he says the first one, feminism is a view that men and women should be treated equally. He's like 90 plus percent of people agree on that. Yep. There's, there's not, there's all but the most ardent 
you know, uh, people will, will uh, would, would, wouldn't wouldn't agree to that statement. And but he says the the other definition, feminism is the view that our society is generally treats men more fairly than women. Uh, he, he says he says he believes that's really the definition. That's the, what 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 feminists are talking about. Right, right, right. But he says, curiously, whenever I talk about it, no one they won't agree with me that that's the definition. Mm-hmm. They always just want to revert back to the first. Right, right. Yep. But if you dig into the argument, it's more the second. <laughs> right now, now it can be either. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm open to either one of those being the definition. But if if you if you say it's the first, then you can't say that we are awash in in uh, you know anti women sentiment. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I did, I remember reading that. Wasn't that one of his essays or something? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. That was thought provoking. Um. I don't know where I got this. It was a history podcast, but I just thought it was interesting. JFK during his presidency was asked what kept him awake at night? What was he most worried about? And this, I think it was a news conference and this was a reporter's question. And he, I think he paused and he said, uh, the thing that worries me the most and keeps me up at night is the proliferation of nuclear weapons that will hmm. have 30 or 40 nations with nuclear weapons. Now what we have nine countries, maybe, uh, I don't know. I, it depends I, on how you measure. It depends, yeah, depends yeah. on if you believe who says they it, have it, them and who doesn't say they have them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Somewhere between nine and 12, right? I mean, it's, that's in the ballpark. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was worried about 30 or 40. So yeah. the, 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 whoever who this podcast was, was making the point that, you know, with Americans leadership, we've kept it below JFK's worry, mm-hmm. you know, so you could, you could bring that up as a success. But I, I just thought that was interesting because mm-hmm. um, I've never seen that before. What kept JFK up at night? It was this. Yeah. So. Yep. All right. Here's a quick one for you, Ron. Cause just a little one line joke. Um, a man tries to park his car in the congressional lot. Security comes over and explains to him that he should not park there because Congress is in session. The guy replies, no, it's okay. I locked the doors. I love that. <laughs> uh, I love that. <clears throat> excellent. <clears throat> well, this one's humorous too. Eric Idle of Monty Python fame wrote a, wrote a autobiography um, and he called it say no more uh he wanted to call it uh say no more because that's that famous line of them in the pub you know say no more and nudge as good as a wing to a blind bat you know squire he's sitting there bugging this other guy in this sketch it's a classic sketch but say no more he decided not to use that title on his biography because it's going to be on his tombstone (laughs) but that was great that's brilliant Florence that King. is just brilliant. Florence King is probably my favorite comedy writer. I mean, number one all time, even more so than PJ. Hate to say it, she's a phenomenal writer. She's no longer with us, but she, she always wrote about being a misanthrope. She just didn't like people, and, mm-hmm. and she made no bones about it. She wrote about it in a very humorous way, 
And she says, I want my tombstone to say, go away. (laughs) (laughs) You're not needed here. (laughs) Your services are no longer required. (laughs) These by my way of thinking. All right. Well, we're up against our last break. Want to remind you out there that you can contact me or Ron by sending one email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Make sure you check out our website, thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also rate this podcast, and we love for you to do that by going to ratethispodcast.com slash TSOE and give us any star review. And if we do get one, we'll be promised to read them on the air. So we'd love you to have that. But right now, a word from our sponsors and my employer, Sage. Birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back to The Soul of Enterprise, where we are talking one thing from our One Thing journals, reflections on that. And uh, Ron, I've got a, a a quick one here that I want to to share with you, uh, and I know you've heard this. Uh, Jonah Goldberg talks all about it, but uh, I love this. It is an established fact of social science that any bad idea can work for a time in Sweden. That's awesome. <laughs> I just listened to a podcast with Johan uh, Norberg, who we found mm-hmm. on the show, and he indeed is an economist in Sweden. And he was talking about that. They were asking. It, it was it was a show on COVID. You probably mm-hmm. listened to it. Um, it was on the Nick uh, Gillespie podcast. And um, they asked him about that line, I think. They said, you know, people say that, well, you can do anything in Sweden because it's such a high trust culture. And he said, yeah, that's largely true. We have very high levels of trust and we trust in our public institutions, including the health officials. Mm-hmm. And it was all about their response to COVID and do they regret it? 
And no, they don't. But there was a period of time when their excess deaths were higher than other European countries that had shut down. And they played clips of the health guy, you know, their equivalent of Fauci, basically saying, look, it's too early to tell. He said, we, we can't know the full effects of this until more time runs. And it turned out to be a very humble statement, but it turned out to be true because their excess deaths are lower than most yep. of the countries in Europe that locked down. But it mm-hmm. took time for the numbers to reflect that. And of course, our hair was on fire, you know, going through it, but their slow, deliberate, liberty-first response was the right one. Mm-hmm. It was a very interesting discussion with with him on on um, you know why the country did did it the way it did it um, because they just you know they want to be honest with their people because there's yeah. a high level of trust and I don't know were we told a bunch of noble lies about vaccines and children's masks and closing school? I mean, they kept their schools open. You know, they said this doesn't seem to be affecting kids, so we're not going to close the schools. And they got they got raked over the coals for that decision. Uh, they got yeah. raked, they got raked over the coals in all their reporting, but turns out that they had a pretty measured response to it all. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm I'm willing to have a little grace about the COVID thing now, although I think there was definitely things that were bad, and I I don't like the fact that that Fauci still continues not to. In a, in a way, fess up to what is obvious in a lot of lot of ways. But uh, Emily Oster, uh, and she's been a guest on on uh, Russ's show a number of times, but she, I think she wrote a piece that was in The Atlantic, as I recall, which which said we need we need to declare COVID-19 um, amnesty. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Yep. You know, um, and I think that's I think that's probably a good idea. And and I th- and, and but with the condition that we we need some self-reflection. On I it. want a, I want an AAR on it, Ed. Yeah, that is a blame game. But yeah, to to have a frank discussion about what went right and what went wrong and what did we learn, what were yeah. the good and what were the bad. I mean, that's one of the things Johan kept talking about was, you know, in in, in a lot of other countries there just wasn't a cost benefit calculation. Mm-hmm. It was all about no, we got to stop the spread, stop the spread. But you didn't consider all these other costs that we're now starting to see in the data. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. And, and, and that some people, including you and me on about a couple of things talked about at the time. Yeah. And they were ignored because it, it was, it really is a, a, a function of precautionary principle, right? We, we it really we, is. We kind of went overboard and shutting everything down. So, well, the, the burden of proof, it has to be on the person who's making the suggested policy change. That it, that it, that 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 the net benefits are higher, not the other way around. Right. And what happened was the precautionary principle, which we did a show on, either the week before or the week after COVID hit. Oh, it was like it was really, really weird. weird. It was, yeah. And, was. and I think it might have been the week before mm. that 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 COVID became a thing. And I don't know if we had, it had even entered into our our uh, you know view, viewfinder at the time, but yeah, so. All right. Wow. Um, are you up or am I up? I think I, I think I'm up. Um, okay. GK Chesterton. Ah. Gra- gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. Beautiful. Isn't that great? Beautiful. Isn't that great? I mean, what what describes a free market? And I'm not sure that was his intent. I don't think it was. But what describes the wonder 
of you know the free market better than that phrase mm-hmm. not only should we have gratitude but you should kind of look around and you should be in wonder about how does all this stuff happen you know? mm-hmm. so i love that line um this one goes back to our episodes that we're, we've done on systems thinking and our conversations with uh donald is it i forget um oh yeah don uh donald williamson yeah 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 uh is it donald i keep forgetting his his name well, you know we have it right here i should probably quick look it up uh yeah william donaldson don uh, not william donald williamson donaldson. william, <laughs> william, william donald willie yeah Willie. that's right yeah yeah the system will reveal true purpose in spite of the stated vision and mission statements or the absence thereof in the absence thereof the italian pro- proverb he quotes about the paper will not reject the ink. Uh-huh. You can yep. write anything you want, but it don't mean squat to your system. Mm-hmm. It's so great. Yep. And I, I love that the system will reveal true purpose in spite of the vision statement that, that stated vision and mission. Yep. So because that's where you your culture, that's where your culture emerges from. It emerges from the system. Mm-hmm. Just how people interact and how your work gets done and all of that. That's where culture comes from. Also what you believe too. Um, St. Thomas Aquinas said, you know, we talk about the seven deadly sins. He pointed out envy is the only one of the seven deadly sins that isn't even fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Why bother? (laughs) I I know. I know. It's like the old Russian joke. You know, they asked the Englishman what he wants for his last night. And he said, I want to, you know, walk in the park with my dog and read, you know, Wordsworth or whatever. And they asked the Frenchman, he says, oh, I want to spend the night in Paris with my mistress. And they asked the Russian, he goes, I want my neighbor's cow to die. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Um, So this is, I forget where this was quoted, but it's a guy by the name of Sir Boyle Roche. And uh, he said, <laughs> "This is it's, it's almost a, a, a yogiism. Half half the lies our opponents tell about us are untrue." <laughs> That's good. That's good. That's very good. Wow. Well, that's uh, we're up against it almost, aren't we? I got one more, but we've said this so many times, but it is in my journal. All models are wrong. Some are useful. Yeah, that actually goes back to, uh, I think the guy's name was George Box. He was a mathematician. He's the one who said that. I do have the official uh, site where that where that line comes from. So I know it's true, but yeah, it's so true. <laughs> yeah. Nope. All, all, all good stuff. Well, this is fun, Ron. Glad we got a chance to do this. And I think I think every six months or so, this is good to break out this this one because we, we do get a lot of stuff added. I know, you know, I've got way more than we could and we uh, could talk about every single one of these. So we, we could we could do a show a week and wouldn't get through it probably. <laughs> yeah. So, well, what's that in store for next week, Ed? Next week, Ron, we are going to have our interview with Hatendra Patel. So looking forward to that conversation. Excellent. I will see you in 167 hours.
This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy. Sponsored by Sage. Building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. Join us next week on Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern. That's noon Pacific. In the meantime, please feel free to visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com.